0: Fireside Chats is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins If you want to show your support for Fireside Chats, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast Sacred Symbols, the retro and nostalgia-fueled podcast Knockback, and the YouTube gaming series SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Fireside Chats, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons and much more. Your support is essential if Collins Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations! Welcome back to Fireside Chats. My name is Colin Moriarty. Today, as always, I'm joined by a very special guest. His name is Eldar Basic. Eldar, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for phonetically taking the time to study and figure out how to say my name. I get so much Elders and Edgars. Colin, I'm so glad to be here.
0: Yeah, it's it's exciting to have you here. Yeah, when I saw your name, I thought it would have to be Elder or Eldar. I actually thought it would be Elder. But I was wrong. Uh, I get that a lot. And yeah. A lot of people think it's a fake name.
1: It's a, It's not your pen name. I've had to bust out the driver's license more than on like more than ten times for sure.
0: What what is what nationality or whatever is? Um, where does it come from? I'm Bosnian.
1: Bosnian. Perfect.
0: Yeah. Love it. I don't think I've ever met a Bosnian before. Maybe I,
1: I have. I don't think there's much there in the in the way of video games journalism. If I'm being honest with you. But. No,
0: probably not. But just in general, you know, yeah. you meet. You meet people that you thought maybe you'd meet a Bosnian
1: at some point, but I guess not. Yeah, it, it's it'll come back. It'll come back up later in the conversation. But did yeah. your family come here during the, we the strife? Actu- uh, we actually um, we actually immigrated here uh, in 95 right during the war. Yeah. So, I OK, so very, yeah. very, very interesting. Well,
0: welcome. How old Thank were you, you when that happened? When I was you, about four. Four. I was so about four years old. So you didn't. Do you speak? Uh. Well, what is the language? Is it's it Russian?
1: Subro-Croatian. OK,
0: sorry, I don't mean to offend. I know I'm very careful about Eastern European stuff because I know how offensive it is <sighs> no, no, to no.
1: mistake something. for some... Not at all. Uh, yeah, I speak it fluently. I preach a colon if you want. <laughs> <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> that's, too, that's too much for me. Does it, my girlfriend says it sounds like Russian. Does, it does sound like Russian to me. Does it sound like I, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, it, well, that makes sense.
0: That, yep. I mean, you're all kind of marinating around there together. <laughs> marinating, right? That's disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> marinating in each other's Russian juices, in Slavic juices. I'm gonna vomit. Uh, <laughs> Elder, we had you. Oh, but by the way, before I even get into why you're here, yeah, so You so- said that Edgar. People call you Edgar. I have a huge problem with this because I'm looking at your. How do you? How do you get? It's like I guess if people look at, there's no
1: G. There's no G. It happens, at my, it happens at work all the time. In emails, it'll, it'll say, hey, Edgar. Right. No, dude, not even close. Yeah, well, since you just roll with it, I guess. Yeah, man.
0: Now, we, we're having you over today, or I'm having you over today, and I'm excited to have you because you wrote a book called Echoes of the Holograph, yeah. and we're going to talk about being a first-time writer and uh, getting published in the whole literary world. I think it's really fascinating.
1: Yeah. I'll be a completely open book about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everything from step one, why I got the idea, to what it was like actually putting it out, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, any questions you have, I'm I'm here to answer them. Cool, I'm
0: excited. So, first of all, tell me a little bit about you know I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. I
1: are you a voracious reader too? I assume you you must be. Um, you know that's actually the assumption. I've I'm very very selective when it comes to uh, when it comes to what I read. Um, and I, I read some some strange stuff really. Um, anything along the lines of let's say stuff like like French literature, like Albert Camus, um, The Outsider. Um, really, I like to read really poignant coming of age books, but as far as quantity goes, I, I really only read about 10 books a year. Interesting. It, um, the, uh, the general premise of my book is it's actually, um, inspired by video game storylines. And, um, that's why I kind of thought it would be really cool to get on here because, you know, you built your bones on the backs of video games as sure as that sounds, but no, I did. Without um, video games, I'd be shit right now. I, I honestly say same. Yeah. Um, The book is actually just for a little bit of background. It's broken up into seven different parts, uh, seven different short stories that coalesce into one narrative, and each of them is um, inspired in some way by a different uh, story. Cool.
0: That's exciting. So first of all, it's not a meaty book. So I know a lot of people are in, <laughs> get a little intimidated by page count. I like meaty books, but I also like books that you can read in a, in a day or two. This is a right. short book, right? So it's not intimidating. Uh, which is good for the for the audience, especially you know. I don't know how much
1: my audience reads, so um, I hope I hope a lot of you read. Readership in general is going down drastically, as you can imagine, with the advent of social media and the lowering of attention spans across America. Mm-hmm.
0: It's going down a lot. It's too bad. By the way, this is a random aside, but it, it is tangent. It is it's a tangent, but it's it's relevant to this. Have you ever seen the movie from the seventies that won the Academy Award for Best Picture called Network? No. Okay, it's a it's a it's a show or it's a movie from the late seventies about this fake news network and how they basically take advantage uh, of people and and all this stuff to get good ratings or whatever. But sure. they say in there it's so prescient because they say in there only three percent of Americans read. And that's in the 70s, right? Like actually read books. And that's before smartphones. That's before really the advent of even cable TV. That was net- the network television era. So I just wanted to throw, throw that out there that it is it is a little surprising how few people read but I also feel like a lot of people lie about reading. Mm. Have you ever encountered that before? I'm not saying like I'm going to call them out and really well, tell me about what that book's about them. But I feel like a lot of people pretend they read books. And I then think. you look at the New York Times bestseller list and the top selling book sold 25,000 copies. Right. It's not like it didn't sell like
1: gangbusters numbers. So I'm a little concerned about that. You know, I think so. Um, not that I've necessarily called anybody out on. I don't think you've read that, but I, I can see how someone could say, oh, you know, I've definitely read Cormac McCarthy's The Road Right But it's like No man You probably just watched the movie That happens a lot too um, So if it was 3% in the 70s Right now It's I mean it's gotta be Microscopic levels It actually came up On the plane, over, plane Right over here The person sitting next to me um, I was reading um, Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology Just kind of like A pretty simple Somewhat meaty Like 300 50, I don't know what you consider like a meaty book, but I'll say like 350 pages. Is that's like, a good size. That's when you start getting in, in long. My book's only 160 pages. Right. Right. But uh, whenever like she asked me what I was reading and I said it was, um, you know, this book, she's like, oh, I haven't read a book since high school. And I was like, well, I feel like I've heard that narrative quite a few times. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, you know, because in high school, you're forced to read. Right. Right. And then you get in college and then you honestly, you probably just Google the answers. You don't really read uh, the text like most people don't. Um, and I, I don't know. I feel like after high school, reading becomes something that is a it's a choice. Right? Yeah, definitely. No one's making you do it. And I don't think a lot of people do. Now, Ebooks, uh Kindle, Nook and stuff like that. Um, that's kind of remained stagnant. The technology itself hasn't really changed as far as like uh, whenever the first Kindle came out, it was really similar to what it is now. Uh, maybe it's a little bit leaner, but you know, you can kind of tell that the technological advancement isn't really there for Nooks and Kindles, right? Right. Um, it's there's not so there's not a whole lot of integration. And even when I was publishing the book, the um, software that I was using to um, convert the book from Microsoft Word to, um, you know, a Kindle appropriate format was, I mean, it could have easily been from 2004, 2005, like the scripting on it was ancient. And that says a lot, I think. Sure. It's not modernized.
0: I don't know how I feel about all of it because I don't know that that woman on the plane should have necessarily been very proud of proclaiming that. But at the same time, like there are so many options to entertain yourself. And I do think that we read more than ever literally, right? Like we're always on our phones. We're always reading things. We're writing things. We're more literate than ever. It's a very ironic thing, like during the Gutenberg era, I'm sure that they would have been shocked to learn that people don't really care about books anymore, but everyone's literate to them. they would be like, how is that possible? This is what made everyone literate to begin with, when only people like 5% of the population can read. Now we have almost universal literacy, but less people or fewer people, I should say, reading books. So I find that very interesting. But with all that said, your inspiration with video games and all this—what made you want to—and and, and the fact that you're not really a voracious reader—what made you want to write a book? This is this is an interesting
1: question for me to ask you. Um. So the inception of the book—it's actually kind of—it's actually kind of a strange introduction to why I wanted to write it. Um, it was south of Austin, and I was sitting around a campfire. With my uh, girlfriend at the time, this was I think like maybe two years ago, and um, you're you're you're, a, you're you smoke. Uh, I was smoking, and um, I got this idea for um, an elderly couple, right? And what would it be like if I told a story about them being um, serial killers, right? For whatever reason. So I thought, well, could I write a story? Um, growing up, um, especially in junior high and high school and stuff like that. Um, I like to draw, and I would draw comic books of, like, my friends and how they, like, interacted with each other and gave them characters and stuff like that. I like to make um, storylines just in general. Um, I wrote, you know, in my more embarrassing years, I've wrote fan fiction online and stuff like that. So I thought, could I, wrote, could I write a book? Is it accessible? And I came to find out that it was a lot more accessible than I thought with um, Amazon self-publishing. And so I started writing the bones of what Echoes of the Holograph was. And actually, that idea is still there. It's just going to be translated into the sequel for the book. So those, those two serial killer old people are actually still going to be in the sequel. But um, no, in this one, um, I, I scrapped that whole idea and I thought, you know, what do I really want to write about? And for whatever reason, at that same time, I picked up this graphic novel called Irredeemable by Mark Wade, And he... Basically made a story. It's not really talked about too much nowadays, but have you ever, have you ever seen um, it actually recently just came out the boys on Amazon uh,
0: I saw the uh, the that it's there, but I've not watched it yet It's kind of like a superhero thing right or is that yeah. would be yeah. Okay. yeah It's
1: um it's kind of like this realistic take on corporate culture and like superhero culture and it's kind of a parody of it right all the superheroes are really um, dark and evil and stuff like that and um so I read Irredeemable, which is kind of of a similar ilk. Basically, it's about a Superman-type character who finds out his wife cheats on him, and he burns his his insignia into the United States of America, becoming this genocidal maniac. It's pretty cool. It, it's a great comic yeah. book, and I, unfortunately, it only sold like 5,000 copies. Awesome story, though. So I took that, and I was like, well, I kind of want to do something like that. I don't really want my guy to be evil, really. Um, cause art imitates art, right? We all get inspiration from other things. Definitely. You know, there's no, I, I really, I don't believe in the idea of, I mean, there is originality, but also every single piece of art or literature or every single comic book is inspired by something that came before it.
0: Definitely. I think Spielberg has said there's only like seven stories or something like that. Well, I think, I think that was the idea. Like there, if you really reduce everything, there's only only seven different stories or, which is kind of fascinating. I guess like save the girl or whatever the case might be. Like it's it's this it's the same stuff over and over again. I'm totally about. I mean, Fireside Chats was
1: inspired by Rogan,
0: so you which know. you were on, yes, how twice.
1: What, what's he like in person, by the way? I was always I was always curious about that.
0: Very very friendly guy. The first time we played pool a little bit after we I recorded with him, and that was kind of cool. But then he kind of like kicked me out. It wasn't like really. I, I I don't think I was reading the situation properly socially, mm-hmm. which I'm always a little embarrassed about because I pride myself on reading social situations pretty well. But eventually he was like, all right, you know, but the second time it was in a different building, his like new beautiful building that he does. And he showed me around and we walked around the entire premises and he, you know, Aaron came and he was very friendly. And,
1: Um, you you're not really the type to be intimidated in a podcasting situation was Rogan in any way did did his presence make you nervous or yeah it was like-
0: it was nerve-wracking just because the first time i got there early jamie was there his producer mm-hmm. joe wasn't there yet i signed my waiver and then joe literally walked in shook my hand sat down and we recorded it was literally within like 15 seconds we were live.
1: Crushed your hand yeah process. he literally
0: walked in he's like hey i'm joe good to see you thanks for coming through it's nice to meet you i'm glad you're able to come through sit down and then he's like all right and we're live you know and I was, that's literally, literally how you know how he starts the show is like that yeah that's how literally how it started it was literally a 15 second thing from like me shaking his hand to me being live with him gotcha gotcha the second time was a little slower because we knew each other at that point
1: i gotcha gotcha i I asked that because i'm probably in that same situation right now
0: no you're doing you're doing great and this hey it's not quite that you know not to take anything away from you it's not quite the same situation because it's not live so oh that's true yeah that's true so a million people are on watch listening to it as you're doing it and then, you know, several million people later
1: on are going to listen to it oh, as well. God, that would definitely add to my flop sweat.
0: And the, but by the way, just to throw it in there, I wasn't really a big Joe Rogan listener at all before I was on the show. I like him a lot. I like his comedy. I liked him on uh, Fear Factor and, and you know, the UFC stuff I watch. But uh, I wasn't really familiar with the show, so I don't think I knew enough about it to be scared, which is ironic. Like, I don't think I, I knew it was big. I knew it was like one of the big shows. And I knew how big it was after random ass people came out of the woodwork when I was on it. Just not asking me for anything. Just being like, oh, I, you know, people from high school being like, oh, you're on... Rogan, which was cool, so I was like, "Wow, this is a really big show." But I don't—I th- think my ignorance was bliss in that situation. Probably, I don't think was, I thought about it.
1: It was probably a Shield for you. Yeah, yeah,
0: it was perfect, and I was so befuddled at that point in my life that I don't think it, you know it was just a big blur.
1: So gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, but what was the what was the last?
0: Yeah, yeah. sorry, we got off on a on a tangent. We were. What I was basically asking you was sure. the the wise right? If mm. in this society. Uh, why write a book you were telling me a little bit about the process with amazon and all this by the way i had someone on it wasn't about writing but we were talking about a book that this other guest wrote and i love that the i don't how old are you you told me this already 28 28 all right so you're, you're you're almost my age do you know the term vanity publishing does that a term that you know at all um no okay no. so this is a vanity published book what it means is is that but it's the reason I bring this up is because he and I were talking about the difference. Vanity publishing in the in the analog days was when a person would literally write something, go to a publisher and, and just say, like, make me 25 copies of the book and who the fuck knows where you're going to sell them. But now self-publishing is a totally different thing because you have a market. So now you can just put the book up and sell it. So vanity publishing died the second digital publishing started because now you have a market to sell your books. And that's what I wanted to ask you next. I mean, how do you find a market for this? doing it on your own did you find a distributor did you find a pr
1: person are you just kind of like letting it float in the ether what are you doing i'm honestly um uh whenever i first released it uh i guess i sort of uh as you would say kind of ghost released it i put it out and then i started the uh the marketing plan for it you know um as a first-time author you do what uh you do what a lot of other first-time authors do and you tell your friends and family about it and then you start reaching out to Instagram uh, book influencers, because that's the world we live in nowadays. And then you reach out to literary agents, and you just try to make the web of influence around your book longer and longer and longer. And yeah. um, you know, as, as somebody that has done um, you know, uh, very light journalism, very light or uh, article um, writing. someone that's also done podcasting, one of my weaknesses and one of the reasons I wanted to write the book is I wanted to get better at marketing myself. And I feel like with the book, I was able to do that quite well Uh, because I realized, you know, I can make the content, I can make the stories, but I don't know how to get that out there. And maybe halfway through writing the book, when I started seeing the process of what it was like marketing and getting it out there, I was like, okay, I'm going to use this book as not only something that I... Where I can tell you know these types of stories that are just kind of in my head, but also as a way to learn marketing better. So it's all a one-man pub marketing effort right now. Um, like how said, how has it worked? I mean, how is, how is how is
0: how is proliferating the book worked for you? Has has it been effective?
1: Um, I, I've I've to be honest, I only expected to sell about a hundred copies just because I was like, I don't have a market, I don't have a brand. It's gonna probably take until three, four books from this one to build one. But uh, the reception's been the reception's been good. Um, I'm at 257 copies sold so far. That's great. Good for you.
0: That's okay. I mean, Uh, that's
1: great. I mean, dude, think
0: I mean, really think about it. This is what I always tell people. I mean, think about that. There are 250 people that spent money on your book. They didn't have to do that. They could have bought someone else's book. They could have spent that money somewhere else. I mean, I always think about I really always try to put things in that context because it doesn't seem like that much when you look at, uh, you know, I don't know a big modern writer selling several million copies of the book. Well, you're not going to do that. And that's not reasonable. You know, no one's going to do that. I don't think Stephen King would release a book and sell millions of copies today. So like 250 copies is a a big deal, you know? So I think you should be proud of that. Thank you. It's the same thing like I always think about with my YouTube channel and with my my shows and stuff like Sacred Symbols has about 50,000 people that listen to it, which is not a lot compared to some other podcasts. It's big for video game podcasts. But when you think about it, that's a that's a football stadium that's a full jets game worth of people like watching or listening to the show. It's a lot of people. so always try to put it in that context. It's like you sitting in front of an auditorium of two hundred and fifty people that are familiar with your book. I think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I think so, especially yeah. as a no name, you know that's two hundred and fifty people. you can fit that in my apartment, this apartment so what what uh hmm? do you do for a living? Oh, um so can i say this i can't um i'm actually transitioning um more than likely i'm transitioning from a uh, career in wine oh. ma- uh, wine management basically oh. to the video game industry interesting yeah so like what does that
0: mean like a sommelier or or, or a, a wine what, what is so
1: i work in managing and coordinating how wine gets from one distributor oh to okay the other. all right so not more so, logistics and yeah.
0: transportation interesting okay hmm. And what so you've gotten a gig in the game in games and you can't say yet or or you're pretty much. Cool. That's great. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> pretty much. That's awesome. Good for you. Add in um by home, Plano, Richardson. So I'm over there. Excellent. Really Good close for you. Really close to gearbox. I don't know if I told you, but um I recently uh, finished up a stint at um a gearbox as an intern as well. Oh, cool. I don't know how that could come up, but no, that's I mean, that's very cool I don't know if you uh, like Borderlands.
0: I do love Borderlands. <laughs> I, I actually just reached out to my friend Kyle today to try to who's the Influencer manager there it was a buddy of mine he used to work at GameStop. Sorry. There might be a, a an interesting cut there A weird cut I had a Home Depot delivery That uh, ended up being you just put it out. You put out what you want and then they just tell you when they're going to come. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it could have been any time before 8 p.m. So I'm sorry to be uh, disruptive. I needed O rings for my G.I. Joe's and I got them delivered to my house. Pretty, pretty wild
1: uh, world we live in here today. Wanted to tell you. I like how they just give you this bare window. Whenever we were moving into our new place, the internet was like, we'll be there between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And I was like, so take a day off.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like, okay, It's the fucking cool. worst.
1: Especially because you, den-
0: you don't know if, like, are- so am I going to be like, could I be your first person? So that's 8 a.m. Could I be your last person? It's a very bright. I hate that shit, too. It's annoying as hell. Yeah, I know. All right. So let's get back to your book. Okay. I want to talk about your book, Eldar. So you sold about 250 copies of it. You're self-publishing. You put your stuff out there. Uh, you had mentioned reaching out to some of these different, you know, uh, uh, literary agents, uh, IG influencers and stuff. Did any of that work for you? Like, did you hear back from anyone?
1: The um, the influencer process? Um, I would say I've had good reception when it comes to that. Um, you're reaching out into the ether. You're reaching out to various individual people and finding them is always a challenge because it's hard to say what to search for to find the right person who can actually put your book out there in front of numerous people, right? I guess it's the same way with, like, indie game development marketing as well. Like, who do you – I mean, you kind of know who to put it out there to, but it, it, you also wonder, is it even effective? The literary agent thing, um, that one actually is going to take a little bit longer. They usually take about six to eight weeks to get back to you. And I released the book in July, so if if we cross our fingers – I may be able to snag a little something um, maybe early September.
0: That'd be awesome. And what are you looking for with a literary agent in terms of like what do they do? They just get you in front of publishers and and things of this nature.
1: Yes. Uh, Essentially, they just take your book. Um, A lot of them are okay If you self-publish it, that means that um, nine times out of 10, the book is already edited, proofread, and it cuts a lot of their work out. Uh, that they would have to do. And yeah, they just get you in front of publishers and get the book in hard-to-reach stores as well. Um, I've also... Um, the book should be coming to Barnes & Noble sometime in October as well. That's exciting. So that's cool. Yeah, um, that's super cool. That That's huge reach. But it's also a little scary because it's one of those, like, you know, you fill out forms and then you wait for acceptance. You fill out forms and you wait for acceptance. It's a lot of... it. I would imagine... I remember when you started Collins Last Stand and you said you had to get into the rigors of doing a lot of paperwork for not only like the government and you said you dr- you were drowning. Yeah, it was like a, it a was mountain. An,
0: it was like absolute starting a company is an absolute nightmare. It all f- runs fluidly now that I have a lawyer and an account and everything now, but it's a fucking nightmare to begin. That, that which is why a lot of people, you know, a lot of people could not should work for themselves, but they
1: don't and they can't because of that. I don't blame them. <clears> and I guess that would, that, that, that would be the end goal, right? I would love to have... I don't know in five six years i'd love to have five or six equivalent novels that are in the holograph universe and then that's my job i would really like that i was going to ask you about how that might conflict with your path in the
0: dev industry uh, so you would want to do this over that i would assume but in the meantime you'll do a little bit of both
1: right one is way one is obviously much harder than getting signed on to an indie game studio right, right. that has its processes you interview you're on you get your salary uh, the books you're kind of at the you know selling any sort of product you're kind of at the will of the people or you're at the will of ad- I assume advertisement agencies podcasting agencies and stuff like that
0: sure so there are, it's cool though because you have options and that's what I think is mm-hmm. is so important especially in the modernity with everyone kind of working in very different ways that would be unrecognizable a few decades ago a hundred years ago no one would have any idea what the gig economy was for instance but not that I think that that's necessarily a positive it's, it's actually not necessarily a positive but um, it's just it's just to say that you have options and that's kind of That's kind of what modernity is all about in the West, I think, which is like you can do whatever you want and you can actually do multiple things at once. It's kind of neat. So you have like a salary job that will pay the bills for you. And then this kind of side hustle that hopefully you can invert into uh, your job.
1: I remember you also had a guest on and um, he was doing a podcast about I think it was a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. And I I definitely mirror some of his sentiments about the difficulties of having a nine to five and still maintaining creative energy because I've noticed one thing and especially was it was a challenge during the writing of the book. It was that the creative energy you would get in the car right at like five or six or whatever. And then the creative energy is gone by the time you get home an hour later after sitting in traffic. Traffic is one of the worst things to happen to America.
0: Yeah, it's it's awful. I mean, especially here in Los Angeles. It's no matter how
1: bad you think it is here. It's even worse. There was traffic getting from LA to here to Santa Monica at 11 a.m. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, what's wrong? I, I, there's no good time, right? Like, which <laughs> no. is why I
0: never, I never leave the West Side ever because yeah. no, I, I go to Santa Monica, Venice, Marina del Rey. That's about it. Yeah. If you want to see me, you need to come here because <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not
1: going to fucking Burbank or something like that. I'd like here. to. I'd like to check out Venice probably probably tomorrow. I got one more day here, but
0: um, yeah, Venice is great. Very bohemian. I love that. Go boat. go smoke a joint. Walk down the sh- walk down the beach.
1: It's great. Yeah, that's something that you don't get a lot of in Dallas. I yeah. don't, I never get the whiff right, but like but you, here, you, you see it here. I had the whiff like ten times. Like. Oh
0: yeah, I smoke on the sh- I smoke. I walk around smoke all yeah. the time. Now, that's not legal to be to be fair in California. It is not legal to smoke marijuana in public, but everyone does it anyway mm-hmm. because no one cares. When my sister Allie came here, um, I was smoking, walking down the street and we walked by some cops and she was like mortified because she's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, and, like <laughs> and she doesn't smoke. She, I was just I was just walking with her and I'm like, dude, it's
1: fine. It's totally fine.
0: That's everything's crazy. fine. Yeah, you know? so uh, a little bit of a different environment here than it is in Texas, although I love Texas a lot.
1: Oh, uh, when was the last time you came out to Texas?
0: Uh, let's see. I was there. I was at Rooster Teeth probably in late 2016 last.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, been, like,
0: I've been I've been to uh, Texas probably four or five times now.
1: How do you like Austin?
0: Austin's nice. Now, when I was there, I don't know if this is ameliorated yet, but when I was there, there was an, the city council wouldn't let Uber or Lyft work uh i don't know if that's still happening revoked thank god because i mean that's fucking ins- i mean that's so anti anti-market and so weird and that's why i knew that it would eventually break because the services are so- and i say this i always say this i'm an uber stockholder say what i say with a grain of salt mm-hmm. uh but the services are so good that there's no way that they wouldn't break that embargo or whatever and make that happen but when i was there those few times they didn't have it so it kind of cloistered me into these into my hotel into the surrounding areas or whatever because i'm not gonna fucking go wave a cab down it's just I guess fucking 1935 out there or something like that. I have no time for that. You know? I, <laughs> I, just got, I just got O-rings for my G.I. Joe's delivered to my house. You think I'm going to wave a cab down? Everyone? No, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen.
1: You, uh, but Texas is beautiful. You don't even have a car.
0: No. <laughs> I haven't had a car since I was 18 years old. Sold it for $500 to my friend because he needed it and I needed weed money. <laughs>
1: <What>? <laughs> so I was actually thinking that walking over here. Yeah. I was just like, oh, that's right. I've heard him say he doesn't have a car. No, I don't even have a license. I don't understand that world. I really don't. Because I over there, the only way you can get around is in your own car.
0: Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, I grew up on Long Island, so it's very suburban. And you do need a car there unless you live near Queens. But I was 17 when I left. And then I moved to Boston where you don't need a car. And in fact, it would be suicidal to have a car. Boston's laid out, for people that don't know, Boston's laid out kind of like Paris where it started in a center point and then it just kind of built randomly around it. So it makes no sense. It's not like New York where it's a grid. Mm -hmm. It's just concentric circles and all sorts of weird shit. So no one wants to have a car there. And then I moved to San Francisco and I was poor. And you also don't want a car there. You don't really need one. And then I moved to Los Angeles. Now, this is the first place. There's a famous old missing person song, if you're a New Wave fan, called Nobody Walks in L.A. And it's it's true. No one walks in L.A. except for Santa Monica. It has a, a walkability rating, I think, of 97, if you look at those things, which is incredibly high. Uh, so that's why we picked this spot specifically. I have a fear of driving. I don't want to drive. A fear? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a fear of mine, yeah. Interesting. When I, uh, my, my dad, I think we talked about this maybe on one of the podcasts I did, but when my dad taught me how to drive, he, he had this Xterra. It's beautiful, like blue Xterra. And uh, I didn't really understand, like, it, you don't sit in the middle of the car. So you I have a hard time with perspective from that, you know, thing where you have to kind of trust that my dad's like use the rear view mirror to get the line in the middle, whatever, whatever the tricks are. And I'm like, I don't know. So I'm like just driving basically in the shoulder so I don't like hit the oncoming cars and these trees are scratching the side of the car. I like fucked up the entire car. I was like going into an exit like at like 70 miles an hour and like breaking at the last minute.
1: (laughs) My dad was like, oh, did you do the did you do the both leg thing? Did uh yeah, yeah. I drove with both legs. I, d- I did. too. Yeah. my dad was like, don't do that. And I quit. I was like, why?
0: Yeah, I don't really understand why, why that I? is either. But I guess it's so that you don't accidentally hit the gas. But uh, I that that doesn't make any sense to me either. So I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't driven a car since 2011 or 2012. Probably I didn't have a license, but uh, I, I drove around. Uh, um, IGN used to be in a city called or a, t- a small town called Brisbane, south of San Francisco, mm. which is like really empty. And uh, it's really shockingly empty. It's beautiful. And uh, I used to drive around there with my ex-girlfriend when I was thinking about getting a, a license. I'm like, I probably should get a license. So I was like, let me practice driving your car. And so I did around that little area, and that was the last time. And I
1: never got the license. And here we are, eight years later. On my first license test, um, I left the I left the car running. Um, no, wait, no, I didn't. I left the uh, electrical on. And it was like an hour wait for the guy to get in the car and say, "All right, let's go, let's go do your test." And I couldn't start the car because I killed it. That sucks. That was the worst. And I had to wait two weeks more. And my friends were like, "Are you not going to drive us?" I was like, "Look, here's the deal." And I lied probably because I was like seventeen. Right, right. And I was like, "Look, wait. Here's this way cooler story of what actually happened." I
0: don't know what happened to me, man, because my dad's a huge. I think people know, but my dad's a car nut, like a real car nut. He he has a few old cars. He fucking loves cars. He loves building them and selling them and then buying a new one and working on it. And he loves it. I grew up around this. And for some reason, just don't care. I mean, what well, my dad used to be like, oh, come work on a car. You know, I'm gonna go play video games.
1: You know, like go read. I, I listen. Know. I listened to the. I listened to the one with your dad and Dagan, and I thought that was an awesome episode. Did, was your dad weirded out by the video game thing whenever you were playing it?
0: Uh, no, he didn't understand it. The story that he always tells to people now. I don't know how deep I've ever gotten into this with people. I didn't get along great with my dad when I was a teenager. I haven't fought with my dad at all since I went to college, but my dad and I didn't get along great when I was a kid. I had a lot of angst and I think there was a lot of, you know, my parents split up and I was like kind of, my childhood was kind of frankly ruined and I was kind of mad about it. So my dad and I weren't, you know, super close at that time. And I used to just kind of retreat to playing video games and he would bust ball sometimes. I think I told the story about how when I would do something bad or whatever, get a bad grade or something, he would like do something, he would do like really fucked up shit that I thought that in hindsight is so funny to me like he would come he would go into my room when I was at school and like take like the power plugs out at all my consoles so I couldn't play them but like you wouldn't know that they weren't <laughs> there until you went to turn on or you would take like my mouse from my keep my computer or something like that you know so like I couldn't use it like that was like that was the little shit like the, the little cat and mouse game we had like if you want good grades you know get a better grade and I'll give you your mouse back uh, but you know don't be a dickhead and I'll give you your power plugs back but when I got to college and graduated and got my job from my IGN, my dad was at my graduation, and he we he like we kind of apologized to each other. He's like, "I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you were really doing," yeah. and like what, and I'm like, "I'm sorry that I was a dick." And ever since then, we've been you know thick as thieves or whatever. But he always talks about how my keyboard in my room had no letters on it because I used it so much. It was this old Sony Vaio keyboard that had just the letters eroded off of it, and uh, he was skeptical. My mom was less so. My mom understood it a little bit more. Now they both understand it a lot more. Um, so the video game didn't didn't really scare them off. I think mostly because Dagan was the one that introduced me to games and he was older and he had already kind of ingratiated everyone with that. So I think it kind of worked out. But I, I don't think they understood that I could actually do this for a living. And I don't think I actually understood that I could do it for a living either. They, you know, there was a little, I got into grad school at Northeastern. and They thought I was a little crazy to like leave, but I did and everything worked out, you yeah. know. And... I'm actually at the final episode we're going to record of fireside chats is going to be with a college recruiter and I'm really excited to talk to him about that cuz I don't think college is even necessary. I don't know that college added anything to my life except for the people which I you know would have never met.
1: But otherwise yeah, I don't know. Do you um actually on a on a recent podcast episode of a completely recent um irrelevant podcast but um do you they were saying that college was kind of a financial scam.
0: Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah. Did you go to college? Yeah. What, did you pay for it? Or did your parents pay for it? Uh, I paid for it. Okay. So did you pay for it like in cash, or did you pay for it what, with your student loans? Your student still paying? loans. Still yeah. paying them. Yeah. So I think it's a scam too, just because um, I don't know. I want to get too. Uh, people get mad when I talk about politics, but uh, the government's the reason college is so expensive. So the government now wants to solve that problem as well, which I, I just don't. Wanna, I don't really see the the way around that the reason government made college so expensive for people that don't know is because the government basically came in and, and started guaranteeing loans. I walked into a bank at 17 on the Long Island and got a loan for Northeastern. It wasn't like I was going to a community college or even a small local school, a SUNY school. I went to a private school that costs $40,000 a year and I walked in and borrowed the money at 17. Now, if you, if I went to get a mortgage at 17, They would have been like, are you out of your fucking mind? Get out of here. But because they let me do that, then if I'm at Northeastern, I'm like, well, these guys just get free money from the bank, basically. Why not $50,000 a year? Why not $60,000 a year? They're going to lend them the money anyway. And that's how college got so expensive in the Hmm. United States. So it is a scam. Yeah. And uh, I want people to go to college, but only a third of adults graduate from college and everyone seems to be fine. So (laughs) that's fair. That's fair. What did you go to college for? Um, I actually went for uh, logistics. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So is that like in the, is that like in a communications br- branch or is that a mathematics thing? Like what is, what is that? Like when you study logistics, what are you studying? It's a mathematics, ma- math- mathematics, for, yeah, math- seems- ma-
1: mathematics for sure. Um, and then uh, I turned 26, 27 and kind of late in the game realized like, oh God, I don't want to do any of this. I have to completely change, change my life schemata because I'm nice word. Don't want to do any of that. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, 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 how did you fall into that? I mean, that seems like a very specific thing to fall into logistics, right? Mm -hmm. Are you, are you into math? Are you into numbers or like, how did you fall into that as opposed to going for writing or programming or something like that? Uh,
1: Family. My, a lot of my family operates uh, trucking and logistics um, companies. Interesting. So that's what they, that's what they built when they came to the States um over time over yeah. time i will, you know as immigrants fresh from war you know you you go into various types of uh, professions but yeah over time um auto you know they entered the automotive and the logistics industry and you know you kind of just think oh, i guess i'm supposed to be doing that too and then i started to slowly realize mm, no i i like writing i like creative work and above all I think I started seeing examples of how people were turning their creative endeavors into into professions. People were getting jobs in games, people were getting jobs um at book publishers and stuff like that. So I realized like you know professions aren't linear. Right, right, right. And that kind of that kind of changed everything for me, but it was a little late in the game um and I it was something that I kind of wish um I started off at at a, at a younger age. Like whenever you started kind of in the games industry, you know, you started at a young age writing uh, Game Facts. Yeah, 14. Yeah, and you always wish, well, people in my situation, they kind of start what they really wanna do in their mid-20s or, I mean, they say that there's no timeline, but I don't know. I, I think it, there is no timeline, but it just gets substantially harder the older you get.
0: Yeah, it's all about math and the sense, and I always tell people that, like, the 10,000-hour master rule, for people that don't know, they say that if you do something for 10,000 hours, you basically are become a master at it. Um, I believe that. I actually believe that that's true. And yeah, so mathematically, if you start earlier, you give yourself more of a a runway to figure those things out. But I also think it's never too late to begin. And I actually like your story because you being in logistics and your family doing what they do, you at least have like this this fallback plan that makes a lot of sense for you, right? Like, that's cool. And I love the story of the immigrant family, especially coming from a war-torn country, making it work, right? I mean, this is a great inspirational tale as well, uh, especially in our time now where there's so much strife over immigration and illegal immigration and people living off the system or not and working hard enough or whatever the case might be. I mean, you're a great example. You know, I find that I always find um, in my experience with the Eastern European people and people from that side of the world that I meet that come to the States mm-hmm. are always especially um, they have a lot of ingenuity from what I've I've said They they, they seem to understand exactly what it takes to make it work in the United States. Very interesting thing. That's a, that's a broad generalization, of course. Uh, but just in the few people I've met, I've met a few, I know a few Polish people and, if, and whatever, Lithuanians, whatever the case might be, they just all seem very similar in the spirit. Like they almost know what they left. And <laughs> they're like, whatever I'm doing here is way fucking better than what I left, um, which is a great spirit. And by the way, if anyone hears the yelping dog in the background, do you hear that? I do. So this person moved down the hallway from me like, uh, oh, I don't know who the fuck he is. and he has this little yelpy dog, and when he leaves, the dog just yelps all day, and like everyone on the floor has just been complaining. I'm like, I don't know. This doesn't sound normal to me. It sounds like a pomeranian. Yeah, it's well, it sounds like a dog I'm gonna fucking punt off of the the, <laughs> the floor of this building because we live with Lola, and she's a Boston, and she's she's uh, rambunctious, but she doesn't really
1: bark at anyone. And... I thought it was coming from I thought it was coming from your room or something.
0: No, it's coming from actually like this other side of this wall. I think it must be a, a hallway. Hardwood.
1: It's the hardwood floors, I guess, it's just like it's carrying it. Yeah, into it's your. It's part? fucking
0: ridiculous, and like I've complained about it days ago. Anyway, that has nothing I mean, to do with what, what we're gonna, talking what about, gonna but... Uh, well, I'm going to kill the dog. He's going to murder so, <laughs> I'm going oh <laughs> to kill the dog. All right, so talk to me. I, I want to go back to what you said, which I thought was really interesting about the creative processes um, and not having that energy, because that's, that's really something that resonates with me a lot, because I don't have the creative energy to do shit, and I do this for a living. I don't have... Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I don't really know what the fuck I'm supposed to do today. I don't I don't feel creative. I don't feel talented. I don't feel like I have something worthwhile to say. And I didn't have to go to my day job. So mm. I'm just like sitting around moping about it. Mm. How do you balance that? Because that's got to be really tough to go into a nine to five, especially a symmetric nine to five job where it's not like you're like writing during the day and then writing at night or something like that. It's like you're probably doing some different stuff. And so how do you balance that? You were talking about sitting in traffic and losing that energy. Clearly, you found the energy because you wrote the book. So how do you balance that, and how do you make make it okay that you're not say
1: writing one day and not feeling bad about what you're doing? It's an amalgamation of things. Um, it's not only having a really good support system, but it's also um, one of the one of the most important things for me personally. Whenever I was writing the book, was using technology to remind me of what I needed to do. I I don't know. I mean, you you probably have like an really great memory, but I, my memory, Not really. you don't think so? No, long-term, yeah, but no short-term memory. I no. have a terrible memory, and I basically need technology to remind me of what I need to do. So, whenever I get an idea, Mark um, Marin. why did I just, I don't know, what, why did I just say Mark Maron? Mark Maron, one of his podcasts, I think WTF episode, I don't know, like... 500 or something he was talking about his creative process and i listened to this forever and i was much younger at the time and I, it really stuck to me whenever he thinks of a joke it's it's simple it it's simple in execute it's simple in um design kind of tough in execution whenever you think of something just write it down that was really really important for the book um so anytime i thought of a story idea i would open my notes and no matter what i was doing at the time whether i was in the bathroom whether I was sick whether I it was the middle of a movie I think it was like Thor 1 or something I had an idea for one of the books I wrote it down and I went and 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 that idea once you write it down in a place where that's tangible and that you're not going to forget it it's going to come back so all of the time spent being tired after work and stuff like that it doesn't really matter because eventually that idea and that storyline piece is going to see the light of day so that's definitely one of the tools that I incorporated in, into the book as well. Um, weekends are your best friend. Um, and don't forget to relax. I think, I think a lot of people stress themselves out when they have creative projects. Um, I have a couple artist friends of mine. Uh, the artist actually helped me out with the book himself. Very stressed out about um, all of the stuff he was doing. Um, space out your space, out your goals and space out what you need to do. Don't, if you if you work until six and you're in traffic until seven don't do it at seven thirty. do it at 10 do do it after you've sat down and play some video games or just relax and then do what you need to do um but like i said earlier i am a huge advocate of writing everything down as i said before and as i've said also the uh, support system too um a lot of the book um was written when uh During this relationship of mine that I'm in right now uh, with um, my girlfriend, uh, very supportive of the process, very supportive of the fact that I needed to sit down um, sometimes at 12 a.m. when it was time, you know, probably best to like go to bed and stuff. They understand the process of um, getting your creative vision out there, even if honestly, maybe it's not great for your health um, writing so late until 4 or 5 a.m., you know.
0: I totally hear that though cuz that's I I get everything done at night. I usually wake up and I just kind of go about my business and then I think what you're saying is real it really resonates with me too because you have to keep the plate as clear as you can, like don't procrastinate, but you can't force a round peg into a square hole. So if you're not in the mood to write, then don't write cuz it's not going to be good. Um no. And Yeah, I do the same thing like there are things that I need I I know I need to do I have a pretty good mental checklist of what I needs what needs to happen And then I try to get those things done as long as things don't stack up too much. I'm I'm okay
1: I'm sure that whenever you worked at IGN you probably had deadlines. How did you manage that? Um, I'm sure some deadlines were a lot quicker return around than some others.
0: Yeah uh, A lot of it was just embargo dates and you really just had to do what you needed to do to stay ahead of it Uh, I don't think I really missed any A lot of the time it's the publisher's fault if something is really close to a deadline as opposed to having a long deadline. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it's also spontaneous because there's a lot of news and a lot of things that broke. IGN doesn't really deal with that stuff anymore. But back when I was there, that's a lot of the stuff we used to do. So it it was hard, but it's a lot harder now because people become so reliant on my product. Like, I don't miss weeks on my shows. I don't uh, like not side quests and Let's Plays are sporadic, but fireside chats knock back in. Sacred Symbols have never missed a week. And that kind of consistency requires a lot of work and a lot of structure in just the way you do things. So um, I personally encourage people to kind of just set things up in a structure that makes the most sense to them. But I totally understand getting intimidated by creative projects because they're the they're the kinds of projects that don't have a finite end or an answer that is right. It's not like doing a math equation. So you don't really know when you're going to get it right or when you get it wrong. Sometimes I go back and read stuff I wrote years ago and I'm like, wow, this is fucking great. And then sometimes I go back and read and I'm like, this is fucking awful awful. I can't believe how bad this is. You know, and there are things I read like on GameFAQs I, that I wrote when I was 15 where I'm like, this is fucking great. Holy shit. And then I read something I wrote, wrote my last like month at IGN. I'm like, this is awful. Well, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old and I can't even write as well as I was when I was 15. So I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, Stephen King talks a lot about this, about, you know, his process is writing for eight hours a day. He writes for eight hours a day. I mean, that's how he's such a prolific writer in terms of volume, but it's also probably how he has so much stuff to throw out, you know, and, uh, So I think it's important to find your own process in that regard in in the creative field. And I also understand that a lot of people that listen to the show don't understand that because they don't have, unfortunately, they don't have the life where they're able to be creative, you know, where they, they have to go and punch a clock. They have to go and teach a kid. They have to go and do whatever. And that doesn't really require necessarily tapping into the right side of your brain, the abstract side of your brain. So I think that's kind of sad too. That's why I like my shows and I know that they're such a respite for people because, I can only imagine- i i really feel i I've had such a a lucky run in my life of having good stuff happen and um worked really hard for it, but I know that a lot of people out there man they they struggle and they wish that they could do this, and so I try to keep that in mind as well
1: yeah i i I'm starting to understand what you mean from from that perspective i think from i think from since I was sixteen to maybe like twenty five you know I'm not the type of person that's, gonna, I'm not going to beat myself down on it, but you know, I had a, I had a pretty rough run until, up until 26 and it wasn't until I kind of got my head on straight and realized what I really wanted to do with my life, met the right person that I kind of realized like, oh, maybe, I, maybe there is this latent potential. So maybe it was that combination of luck and preparation that you hear so much about in uh, coming into success. Um, with my creative endeavors, obviously not successful yet, but I really think, um, have you, have you ever seen uh, the movie, The Founder? Oh, the one about
0: McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that with Kevin Costner. Yeah, I did see that movie
1: strangely (laughs) I I love that movie because of the one line where he he said persistence is undefeatable And I think if you just keep going and going and going eventually you're gonna get to where you need to go and There was this other there was this other quote where it's like if you uh, Regarding the creative process if you tell yourself you're gonna be something inevitably you're gonna be that at some point point and i think a lot of people that are successful tell themselves that but if you don't if you don't, if you kind of leave your options open you can be anything you want to be if you want to be an artist you can go be an artist if you don't want to be go be a writer you can do that as well and i think that's where i'm at right now i have a lot of different pathways i can pursue and each day i think about that actively maybe i'll end up as this maybe i'll end up as this but i'm going to put at least 30% because you can't put 100% into everything but i'm going to put 30% of myself authentically into each creative project whether that's video games or whether that's writing um strange time too my first um games journalism article came out today and i, I put myself into that too i'm authentically writing that where author. where is it published um cultured vultures nothing nothing huge but hey maybe it's a maybe it's a step towards polygon. yeah definitely maybe it's a step towards polygon ign
0: something like it that. could be hopefully not polygon but uh no yep. i'm, okay, I'm okay. but uh to me, yeah, I, I always say this like luck because a lot of people that hate me always remind me about how lucky I was, and uh, I'm like yeah, absolutely. The the thing is is that luck is part of the equation always. It's a matter of if it's like the entire equation or if it's like just a small fraction of the equation. For instance, I could say like I want to be a fuck. I always joke around like I love football, right? I love football. We're on the precipices we're recording this, a football season, and I was like I'd love to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. Now I have no business being the defensive coordinator of a fucking peewee football team, right, That of 10-year-olds. I could assume that I can do that. That's all luck. If that ever happened to me, that was literally just a million dice rolls that came up right. But if I, like, worked really hard at that from a very young age, studied, uh, put myself in the right positions, then it's just one dice roll, plus all of the shit that you did to prepare that sets you up for that. And I don't think people understand that equation. In other words, what I mean is... The more you try, the more you put in effort, the more you study, the more you understand, the more you work, the less luck becomes an important part of the equation. And so luck is is basically m- mitigated by everything else you put in. There's always going to be a chance that you fail. But I've always said it. I said it at IGN, kind of funny, uh, and now kind Colin's last stand. I'm not going to fail because of me. No fucking way. If I fail because there's no market, if I fail because I've just waned in popularity, ashes to ashes, that, that that shit happens. But I'm never gonna it's never gonna be because I missed a day of putting sacred symbols up. It's never because a show is gonna be late. It's never because I'm not gonna sit down and put my effort into recording an informative and funny and whatever podcast. It's not gonna be on me. And people need to understand that in their lives. It's a powerful thing. And it seems like you kind of live in that same spirit. Don't let it be you. Let it be something else. Let it be the let it be nature. Let it be the unpredictable nature of the universe that. Let's you, let's the other person succeed while you fail, but it's not your fault. So I never look back and say like, if I just tried harder, maybe it would have worked. I never have to have that worry. You ever. always put a hundred percent in. I always try. Even like, like you said, you can't always put a hundred percent in, right? I try to put a hundred percent in with consistency, mm. reliability, right? Like those are the things, like, I'm sure that there are better episodes of Sacred Symbols than others. I'm sure that there are. I don't know because I don't remember the fucking episode after I record it, really. But I try to sit down and say, like, people are paying. A lot of people are paying for this. They rely on it. Thousands and tens of thousands of people around the world. That podcast pops up and it makes them happy. So can I can I do something with that? If, If a Tuesday comes along and there's just no sacred symbols. Fuck, what are you doing, Colin? You know, that's your fault now. Now, maybe the episode's not going to be very good or there's no interest or there's a better PlayStation podcast. You can't control that, you know? But you can So it's all about what you can control and I love your spirit in that sense because there's too much lackadaisical let it go to nature. I just failed. I'm not not cut out for it. Too much excuse making. I hate it. I fucking hate it. Same. It's a big problem for me and I think my audience understands that about me by now. I don't like excuses. I don't want... I don't like lazy people. I don't like excuse makers. I don't like any of that kind of shit. If you fail... That's cool. Like, uh, are you a sports fan at all? Mm. Mm. I, uh, there's a show called Hard Knocks on HBO. It's been on for 20 years. It, it's uh, five episodes every year about a different NFL team as they prepare for the season. And you see these young men. Uh, you know, Real teams. F- real teams. It's the Raiders this year. OK. And uh, they're, you know, in preseason, for people that don't know, preseason football teams are 90 people, which is huge. And the p- team has to be cut down to 53 um, or 52 plus seven, I think. So there's got to be 35 people that got to go. And it's all about how hard you work. That's it. Doesn't matter if you were drafted in the first round, doesn't matter if you were drafted in the last round, doesn't matter if you're 40, doesn't matter if you're 20, doesn't matter what school you went to, what your experience is. If you fucking work, then like you said, you will eventually get where you're going. And the second that you let the foot off the gas, man, expect about 25 cars to pass you. You know, that's the other thing that people need to remember as well. There are people that will fucking eat, make you eat shit
1: if you don't work hard. They'll take exactly what you want. They'll
0: take it and they'll make it theirs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For every, everything you're doing, there's always another person doing it. Right. There was so many times where I was burning that midnight oil, burning that 1am oil because it's, it's, it's so great that you said that because I was, I would always think about the guy. If I quit writing at one, there's always that guy writing until two. Or there's always that guy writing until three, and that really kept me going. It is about the persistence. It is a. It is about. It is about that nature. Um, going back to something you said earlier, um, where you looked at your old articles and stuff like that. Like the the first story of my book, whenever the book was what I considered done, and I don't know if anybody's thinking because, um, I went on. I went on Reddit. I posted that I did this, and I. It was kind of just this like. You know, ask me you know ask me ask me questions and stuff and um, people were asking me a bunch of different questions about processes, where do you draw inspiration from and one of the um, one of the things I said is if you're specifically going into novelization or writing fictional or even non-fictional, one of the most important thing things is your book is not done when you think it's done. It might be done the tenth time you think it's done because when it was almost out, I read the first story and I hated it and I had to completely rewrite it. And that is a challenge in and of itself, and one that I think, in using the book as an example, it, it teaches you about challenging not only, not only the market, seeing what other people are writing, and being able to now to take influence from that. How can I apply that to my book? But it forces you to to look inward and wonder how can I how can I be better at this? How are people? One of my biggest scares before I put the book out is, you know. Am I just going to be that guy that people look at and, and and say, "Oh, that guy thinks he's creative," and it's like, "Well, yeah, maybe, maybe I do. Maybe you and,
0: are. Maybe you are." But that that's who cares, right? Like because you are creative, you did it, right? You did it. That's that's the thing. Is that I respect what you've done so much because I've alluded to it in the past. I think, but you know, I had a publisher really. Vigorously pursuing me when I was at IGN and kind of funny for a long time and we were working on stuff together And I walked away because mm. and i've said this because it was too hard where I was just like I can't do this the right way right now mm. So i'm just not going to do it But the difference is and I think this is what you're you're getting at too Which is I think is really important for the audience to understand is that It's not that I can it's that I didn't And you did you did it right? Like it's not that you couldn't you did it you you did do it so you can and so it, it's all this, I think a lot of it is self-belief. And I think the cool thing about our environment now, we talked about, the, about this earlier, about the, the, from going from the term vanity publishing, which was an insult to people, to self-publishing, which is not an insult. Mm. And just how times changed and markets changed and markets propped up and people, dude, The Martian, which is a famous book, excellent book, mm. and obviously a famous Matt Damon movie, was a self-published book. You know, and I don't think a lot of people know that. That guy put that book out by himself and it wasn't picked up for three years until someone found it and was like wow this is great can we can we work on something he just put it out into the wild and people read it and people loved it and it slowly circulated and it found its way to where it needed to find its way and i'm sure he would tell you the first you know it's the dice roll analogy we used earlier he rolled a bunch of dice and they ultimately came up exactly the way he needed them to but he put himself out there and so there were fewer dices to die i should say to roll yeah People need to understand that luck will always pit play. You know, I think people are downtrodden by luck because they they don't understand that there's nothing you can do to to, to eliminate it. You can only mitigate it. It's a it's the difference between rolling a twenty sided die and a four sided die,
1: and hoping to get a one. It's just very different. That's a good point. You know? and not only that, but um, whenever I put the book out, my friend asked me, "Well, aren't you aren't you afraid of the um, the amount of books that are out there, the amount of choice that's out there? You know, you go to a bookstore, and I think I. Way back earlier, we were mentioning, you know, like the percentages of readers in the United States, probably all, all over the world. It's, it might, it might come down to the fact that whenever you go into a bookstore, you see so many different types of books, and you don't even know where to start, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go on Goodreads if if you do actually have that problem. Yeah, Goodreads
0: is a cool, a cool. Set. Yes,
1: but um, when somebody asked me that, I said no. The, uh, George Orwell didn't release 1984 because there weren't a lot of books on the market. There's just as many books on the market. It's just now we have the internet and everything's visible everything's public facing so you just see all of it you go on amazon and when you type this book in you might be ranked like uh number nine thousand something in this specific genre and it's like well no that could have been very well the same in the 70s and the 80s it's just now we see it all and i think that's all that's a deterrent for a lot of people that's, uh, he wasn't actually the only one that said I wouldn't write a book just because there's so many books out there. I'm like, well, that's a really shitty excuse.
0: Yeah, I agree because I could, you know, you have to try to find your niche, I guess. But the reason I started doing Sacred Symbols was because I thought we could do a PlayStation podcast better than any of the other PlayStation podcasts. That's why I did it, right? It's it's not that it, we were filling a need for a PlayStation podcast. We were filling a need for a great PlayStation podcast. And I so I think that people need to look at it maybe through that lens as well. It's very good, Eldar, in the sense that, you can't look at volume as necessarily something that's negative. It just means that there's a lot of interest maybe in that field. So there's actually maybe greater people to pull from. And the other thing, and I understand this, is that people don't want to put themselves out there and lose. And I think that that's a scary thing too. I've lost. You know, I've won, but I've lost for sure. You, you just don't know until you get on the field and play. It, this all goes back to the wonder. That's the only thing I don't want people to walk away from is like, don't wonder Just do it and then you don't have to wonder. That's it. That it's it. I know it's easier said than done, but I know that everyone listening to this has some sort of creative endeavor in their mind, some sort of invention, some sort of uh, something that they want to do. Some, they want to volunteer. They want to do whatever they, they just fucking do it.
1: So a book I actually just finished reading. um, And I I was going to bring it up earlier because it kind of goes back to the whole like 200 something copies that I've sold. It was, Alan Carr's book on basically Alan Carr's How to Quit Smoking, right? I recently just quit um, smoking. Congratulations, thank you. And um, one of the uh, first things he said, this doesn't really pertain to what I'm about to say, but he sold he he said he sold 11 million copies. I was like 11 million people read your book. And then in the next paragraph, he follows it up with, "I was very I'm very, I am very very successful." And I was like, "I could I just thought about that sentence. I said he deserved to write out that sentence, and that's great for him." But really, that whole book on how to quit smoking and how that actually works is that book is almost scientifically engineered to get rid of your fear of failure. Because literally the, the reason that people don't quit smoking is because their fear of failing at it is so prevalent in their heads. Because, yes, nicotine's addictive. But once you kind of combat the notion that really it's all up here and you're just afraid to start because you're afraid to go back. It's that three steps ahead that you're afraid of. Yeah, interesting. It's not the in, in the immediacy of what's going on right now. You're scared of trying it and failing. But if you just try, like you said, you'll know the answer. Right. And I, I've, I love that notion. Because so far, if you were to kind of look at my path, you would say, oh, yeah, this guy wrote a book. But... You know, it's not successful yet, and it may be one day, or its sequel may be one day, but I'm putting myself out there, and I don't, I, one of the thing I was a, I was a uh, book people in Austin many years ago before the book was thought of, and I was just in, in the comic section mixed with, like, the George R.R. R. Martin section, like, all of these cool sci-fi books and stuff like that, and I was like, damn, it would be so cool to have my name up here. I, it was like, I'm not a, I'm not an author, I was like, 23. 24 and you know it's it's thoughts like that that kind of get you to the point where you can create something that you wanted to hold in your hand there's so many reasons that i wrote the book you know there's so many selfish reasons i wanted to make my parents happy that i did something right because a lot of growing up was my dad saying well what have you done you know so it was a a little bit tricky like i guess i kind of have a very similar relationship with my parents they're they're of course immigrants but you know, it was a little bit challenging at times because they I, I didn't have accomplishments really, and so my parents would ask, "Well, what have you done?" And then I, I would always put that in the back of my head and say, "Well, I'm gonna do something." I don't have anything for you now, but just wait. And it was that spirit I took that from my parents and put that towards everybody. And I, I try not to come off as like you know, I don't I don't I I always try to remain authentic. When, when the book is out, I told people about it and, and stuff like that. And I was really genuinely happy with the people that were close to me came out and bought it and shared it on social media. And, and that really touched my, touched my heart. And, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I want to make the people around me proud that they know me proud that they know that I'll always be there for them in some way, um, in the book. One of the sto- uh, one of the stories is about a um, pair of brothers. They are a pair of crime scene detective cleanup crew they're, they're a two-man operation and they basically clean up um, like crime scenes. They go to this apartment they discover that there's an alien in the bedroom and that actually harkens back to the overarching story uh, that's found in the whole book and by the end of their encounter with the, the said alien that was basically being harbored, by the people that committed the crime in the apartment they grew closer and that's a that's a metaphor for me and my brother's relationship in some way right and it, the funny part is I didn't even realize that it was a metaphor until I was done writing it but whenever I finished writing it I read it and I was like holy shit that's me and my brother I, it was not intentional
0: Right, and isn't that fun too? That someone scary. else will read it and interpret it totally differently as well. Maybe, which I love. I love that. Yeah, like I've gotten things. Neil Druckmann himself told me, who's the who's the writer and create creative director of The Last of Us, that my interpretation of the end of the game is wrong. Right, and like that's so. But it's interesting that like, and I don't want to spoil it too. Much, even though it's an old game, people haven't you know. Spoil
1: Uncharted Four. I think uh, did, if you, did. Did I spoil Uncharted? Yeah. 4?
0: Oh, did, oh, when I said what happened at the end. And that came out after. so Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Sorry about anyway. that. <laughs> Uncharted 4 is way worse than the last one. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I talked to him about it. and I, At first, I was like, oh, that's kind of embarrassing because I totally was wrong about the interpretation of what he was trying to do. Yeah. But I'm like, there's no way that I'm the only person. First of all, I, I know Neil Druckmann is my friend. So I have this interesting insight into what it actually meant that a lot of people are not going to have because they're never going to fucking know. But I also was like, that's interesting because I actually think that my interpretation is totally valid, even though I know that that's not what you intended. And I think that that's what's exciting about creative endeavors and fiction, too. Right. Like just being able to draw things out that you didn't even intend. You didn't even intend to put that in there. And it's about you. Now, imagine what other people I'm not saying the book is, but the the metaphor is I wonder, like, what other great things people will draw out of it. I think that's what's so exciting about it, too. And people draw different things out of not only the written word, but out of video games, like we just said, and even Mm. podcasts and stuff like that. And shit, the narrative about sports games or politics or whatever the case might be. I think interpretation is so fun. That's why it's cool about putting this stuff in there and just seeing what happens. Mm. And I don't know, Elder, I give you a lot of credit, man. I think it's really, really cool what you've done. And it's inspirational. And I hope that other people are able to draw inspiration about it as well. I want to be able to remind everyone as we wrap up what the book is. Again, it's called Echoes of the holograph Eldar E L D A R basic short book. You guys can read it uh, quick. I, I don't want you to be intimidated by it, but let's see if we can uh, throw a couple more hundred copies or so at, uh, at Mr. Basic here and see if we can, uh, Eldar basic is a Bosnian American author that lives in Dallas, Texas. I do. Did you write this yourself? I'm always interested in this cause I used to have to write these sometimes about me. Oh, you know, like at the bottom of a article or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And i so you have to write in first person. Yeah. You gotta I, write your own bio. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I, I did. It was it was proofread by my girlfriend. She's an editor, so For thankfully. I was I had that, but Cool. But yeah, um any sort of support would be I mean probably monumental to the book's success. So yeah, Echoes of the Holograph. Uh, you can find
0: it on Amazon. You said Barnes and Noble this Bar- fall? Oh, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Okay. Keep an eye
1: out. Um again, um you know, I I talk about it a lot on social media. So you could definitely keep up, you know, with it. Yeah, how do people find you? Um, it, literally anywhere on the internet. I'm just on there as Eldar. Basically, um, it's just huh. my it's just my first name and then A L L Y afterwards.
0: Basics an interesting last name. Now I, I know you we were talking about your origins, but I got to pronounce it correctly though. It's pronounced it, Bashich. Bashish. Oh, so does it doesn't have like an accent. Yes. Uh, yeah, but you absolutely. don't. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Bas-ish. I
1: got. I I I but I gotta, it's
0: okay that I say basic. Everyone must say that. Oh, everyone says uh, basic. Okay.
1: I, sometimes I even forget. Sometimes I'm like, oh wait, no. It's well, I'm sorry. Bashish. Bashish. Oh, it's like it's like a C T C H and then another C T C H. Yeah, it's crazy. I gotta ask you though after yeah. after we record about that Last of Us interpretation, not to spoil it. for Oh me, yeah, sure, sure,
0: sure. I gotta yeah, talk to you about
1: that. But but yeah, um, yeah. No, go on if you. Uh, yeah, no.
0: I just we'll just wrap it up. I mean, I'm, glad, I'm glad we were able to talk, and I'm wishing you all the success. And all the prosperity in the world. I hope
1: you make fucking millions of dollars and I hope and so. figure, I, yeah, it'd be great, right? I, I hope in five years, um, you are doing another sort of like guest hey, you never know. You're doing another sort of guest podcast and we can reconnect and I can be like, Hey man, look, remember this book? This dusty, tattered thing? And then yeah, you're like, Oh man.
0: That's cool. No, yeah, I, I I will never close the door on Fireside Chats. Mm. We just need to sit down and and, and figure out. You know what? What if at all make makes sense for it
1: anymore? Some guy on one of your posts said something like, "Just rent a studio," and I said, "There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. That involves Colin leaving."
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not only that. I actually explained this to someone because someone did read, write a message to me, yeah. basically saying, "Like it sounds like you just don't want to put the effort in to make it happen." Still, and I'm like, "All right, well, let's back up and examine that statement a little bit. If this was Sacred Symbols, right, mm-hmm. which is a huge show that's essential to the Sacred Symbols makes an enormous amount of money in ads. It makes an enormous amount of money on Patreon. It's, it's essential to Collins Last Stand's health. I'll do anything to keep that show going, right? Like, even if I have to go get a studio, we don't have to do that. But the point is, it's like I'm going to put in as much effort as possible commensurate to what this show gives my company. The reality about Fireside Chats is that it has a very small, very hardcore niche audience. Me putting more effort into production and all that kind of stuff will not pay out on the other side. And so the only... The thing that made sense was to just put the show down for now because it's not a show that draws new. It's actually the only show that I do that's flat in terms of numbers. It's not growing. So I love it. Selfishly, I love it. And you were talking about being self, you know, selfishness or whatever. I think selfishness is somewhat of a virtue in some in some regards mm-hmm. because you have to I'm a big Ayn Rand fan, of course, and this is what she talks about all the time. But uh, you have to act selfishly in some way. It, the word selfish obviously has bad connotations. But think about what it's saying. Selfish. You're selfish. In other words, you're thinking about, you know, it's like you take the toy from the other person. You're that's selfish. Yeah, but what it really means is you're se- self. You're selfish. You're doing what you need to do for you, right? And this is a selfish move. And I don't mean that in the derogatory way. Does that make sense? I think I think
1: it makes sense. I don't know. You guys can let me know. You always do. Your Your show is very malleable. It started off completely. You know, whenever Colin's last stand started, it was a it was. One can say it's a, it was a completely different pot, product. Totally different. Yeah, this is the last tether to it. Now, yeah, right. And you want to add more people to it, and and you want to grow it, and you know these are growing pains. Maybe, maybe it's yeah. just you know going on to bigger and better things. Would you Would you say I wanted to ask you? Would you say that um, sacred symbols? Would you say that's a flagship? Yeah, it is. It wasn't point. intended to be, but it definitely is. Yeah. It has a bigger
0: listenership than everything else combined, basically. Uh, and we're totally honored by that. And that's great. But yeah, the point I'm trying to make is like Fireside Chats doesn't really do. Fireside Chats is a is a selfish passion project that I wanted to do. It really doesn't pay the bills at all. So my I guess what I'm saying my intent is, is that like, OK, yeah, I can go over at the studio and hire an associate producer and have everyone screen and all that kind of stuff and put all that money in, but it's not going to pay back. It's just gonna be money down the drain, and it's just so. Give me space and time, and I will come up with something else. I'm sure I will, and there already is something else in the works. I mean, I'll tell you guys right now, there already is something else in the works. So, just be patient. I won't. I've not let you guys down yet. I don't think. But you can let me know. You always let me know when I let you down, when I get something wrong, etc. You can let me know.
1: It's. I mean, it's almost debatable whether or not. It's either PlayStation or uh, Sacred Symbols or Knockback. I don't know which one. I don't know which one does better for you. They're both Sacred Symbols does better, but Knockback is Knockback is like a fan favorite. Yeah, it has to be. I think
0: uh, per capita, Knockback gets much more feedback than anything else. I do like it's got a really hardcore audience of people. It,
1: it, it's because not only like the personality of Dagon, but it's also it it, it, it I don't know. It don't is know. Dagan. It's mostly. And I totally accept he's that. He's a star. Yeah, definitely. Show. Definitely.
0: Definitely. I'm totally <laughs> fine with that. See, people say that to me sometimes as an insult. And I'm like, that's not, you know, like, or like that, like it, it would, you know, just as a rib or whatever. And I'm like, dude, I'm to- first of all, he's my brother. Second of all, that's great. I think that's awesome. You know, it, it, we've totally elevated him. And uh, if you want to see more Dagan and you're sad about Fireside Chats going away, then you might be happy with the show that's probably going to come in its place next year. I guess I'll just say that. That's awesome. Elder, I appreciate you coming through. Thank you. Safe travels back to Texas? Yes. Tell everyone I said hello. <laughs> Every, yeah. <laughs> Tell everyone in Texas I said hello. And, Especially know, Beto O'Rourke. Tell him I said hello.
1: I don't even think he's there right
0: now. No, he's what, is he in Iowa. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm wishing you the best. Please keep in touch and let me know how everything's going. I'll be interested to see how the book sales. If the, but we, we can sell you a few more books I, and uh, bring you some more success. And yeah, keep in touch and, and let everyone know what you're doing online.
1: Please. I just, I just want to thank you for your openness and having me here. And, um, really just the authenticity of wanting to sit down and talk about, you know, something that's so special to me and some, so special to people around me. And, um, you know, thank you. I'll I'll always be a big fan.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm not, I'm not in the mic right now. I'm looking for something. Oh God.
1: Is it here? Do I have anything? He's reaching behind the blue bomber. There it is. Nice. Why don't you sign the book while we're we're on the air? I did this. one. Yeah, please. Wow. So, do you want it on the cover, or do you want it on the inside? What on the
0: inside? On the on inside. On the inside. Yeah, I okay. Guess, yeah, definitely on the inside. Oh, this is very embarrassing. I already did. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. He already did write on the inside. Thank you. About the, oh,
1: thank I you. Completely slipped my memory. I wrote you something. Read it I don't
0: out. even remember, I don't remember what I
1: wrote you. Wrote you please.
0: Do you want to read it out loud? Yeah. Colin, thank you for the chance to talk about the book on your show. I hope you enjoy the geeky collection of words. Keep fucking that chicken. Your friend Elder. Now I don't use that. I think. You've, Never one, you, know.
1: you've only used on sacred symbols, and I don't even think y'all use it. It's the people that write to y'all. Yeah,
0: they do. Chris, I don't think Chris even know, knows what that is, because uh, that comes from <laughs> that comes from kind of funny. But I don't know oh. if they still say that over there. Maybe they do. Um, but yeah, that's where that. So that that shows the old fan from the new fan. Yeah, we love all of you though. Well, thank you for writing into the book. Appreciate it. I should have looked, welcome. I guess, first, and I embarrass all of us. Uh, all right, thank you all out there for Fireside Chats support. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Fireside Chats is a product of Colin's Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. You can find me on Twitter at Notaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Fireside Chats is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Collins Last Stand shows, including fireside chats, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com/CollinsLastStand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C, Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Liam Fagan, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H, Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyan Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphrey, Stephen Insler, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El ricey Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Joshua Johnson, Paul Joyce, Greg Juleps, Anton K, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lostiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Alex Schut, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Shane St. Pierre, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wasteman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Casual Misfits Game. Homeworld Hub Mason Throw 7 McDog 18 Infinite Madmock Media Not Your Real Dad Mubarak Chris Richter 86 Hugo's Desk Andrew Ian Chris Dav 9834 and Rainick